0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Let's PharmaNize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Shane Garrettson, And I'm Cal Vandergrift, And I'm Justin Frederick. Today we're going to talk about the most expensive drug in the world. All that and I guess a little bit more on Let's PharmaNize. content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. What do you boys think, Justin and Calvin, is the most expensive drug in the world by dose? Calvin, you might know this because it was a trivia question on our Jeopardy game. I don't want to say it, though. Okay, Justin, do you know?
2: I always, when you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is actually Humira, but I know that's not that's a, good guess. Guess. It's a good guess. It I is. I think it's, it's the most profitable overall, but I'm talking by dose. Uh, this one, I can't say for
1: sure. Okay, the drug is Zolgensma. Or the generic name onasmagene abeparvovec xioi. This drug was approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in May of 2019 for the treatment of spinal muscular atrophy. It's developed by the Swiss drug company Novartis. Can you guess how much it costs per dose? Calvin, you also already know this. Yeah, I don't want to cheat. Game. Don't, don't cheat.
2: Uh, 1.3 million. Huh, that's it's closer that's than really anybody specific, else. I guess. So
1: yeah, it's also really specific. So treatment with Zolgensma, a single dose cure for spinal muscular atrophy, is two point one million dollars, or approximately fifteen hundred stimmies. I crunched the numbers. Did you? Did yeah, I was said, Okay. Wow. Fifteen hundred stimulus checks. So let's talk first about spinal muscular atrophy. SMA is a group of neuromuscular disorders wherein the gene called SMN1, which means survival motor neuron, is either deficient or completely absent. The gene, when working properly, creates the SMN protein. That seems to be a trend with genes. They make proteins that have the same name. You'll see that a lot. That's what at least what I've run into a lot. They're not very creative. But easy to remember. SMN protein is crucial for the maintenance and function of motor neurons. The protein is present throughout the whole body with high concentrations in the spinal cord. Unrelated to the topic, but to get a picture of how important the protein is, it helps assemble ribosomes and other cellular machinery to process pre-mRNA. So it's really important for cellular function and intracellular messaging. And it also is part of the formation and maintenance of dendrites and axons which we know are fundamental in transmitting impulses from neurons to muscles. Without this protein the motor neurons will actually start to die and because neurons don't replicate like other cells once they start to die they're gone. The muscle weakness is debilitating and up until the past few years was eventually fatal. There are several categories of SMA that vary in severity based on how many copies of the SMN2 gene the patient possesses. The SMN2 gene also produces SMN protein. However, this backup gene, as it's called, only produces about 10% of the functional SMN protein. So those motor neurons are still withering away. So the genetic disease is based on the presence of the SMN1 gene. If that's absent, there's still the SMN2 gene as a backup gene, but it only produces a tiny fraction. Hmm. So let me break it down. So there's—I guess I could talk about that in a minute. Okay. So the most common subtype of SMA is also the most severe, and that's infantile onset SMA or SMA type 1. Symptoms show up either at birth or by the age of six months. These babies usually have two or three copies of the backup gene. The more copies of the backup gene you have, the slower the disease progresses. People could have as, as many as eight copies of the backup gene, and that would put them in, I think, um, type 4. So it's still pretty devastating, the disease, but the progression is going to be a lot slower than some of the lower-numbered types. What do you think would happen if someone is born with no copies of the SMN2 backup gene?
2: They would, they would basically have that disease almost instantly.
1: Yeah. You wouldn't even have muscle wasting because... I don't know, I don't even think you could there's, generate enough muscle to waste. Right, there's, there's no muscle tone. This is usually indicated before the baby's even born. Mm-hmm. The, there's a decline in fetal movement during pregnancy, and the baby's usually born with severe weakness, hypotonia, lack of reaction to stimuli, facial paralysis, and, and congenital heart defects. Because if you have that disruption in the proteins while the baby's developing, there's going to be some congenital defects. These babies usually do not live past six months. Uh, this is going to get a little bit heavy. So prognosis for untreated SMAs is bleak across the board, type 1 being the most common, like I mentioned, lifespan of less than two years. Type 2, about 30%, will die before turning 25. Patients with type 3 and 4 can survive well into adulthood with some preserved muscular function and only minor loss of mobility. Disease prognosis, oftentimes they're still limited. They're uh, limited to a wheelchair. Disease prognosis is severe and treatments are very limited. That's where Zolgensma comes in. Researchers were tasked with a pretty daunting challenge. How do you fix genes? A previous drug for SMA, Spinraza, which came out in 2016, operated on the principle of improving what was still working, that is the backup SM2 gene. SM2 isn't a perfect copy of SMN1. It contains a missense mutation, which you may remember from our lectures on genetics, is a substitution of one nucleotide for another. Do you remember the other names? Of the, the gene malfunctions?
2: Yeah, there was a missense mutation, um nonsense mutation. Nonsense mutation, mutation right. and there's a third. It was more of addition, I guess. Addition Maybe. mutation. I don't remember them all either. I for- I forget what the technical term is, <laughs> but it's when an added nucleotide was added to the right. You can have a deletion as well. I and guess. a deletion, and yeah, a I deletion. think there might have been four types, yeah.
1: So remember earlier that I said the SMN2 gene produces about ten percent of the functional SMN protein. The SMN2 gene mostly produces broken copies of the SMN protein that are truncated, cut off, too short to be usable by the motor neuron. And this is this is normal in a healthy individual. These shortened proteins may have some other physiological effect, but it's either unknown at this time or inconsequential. I won't dwell on Spinraza too long because our main focus here is Zolgensma, but Spinraza fixes that broken missense by doing some very complicated stuff that I don't understand and can't explain. Maybe we'll talk about it on another episode. but. Very complex. The researchers saw this and were like, hmm, that's cool, but a bit too easy. We can go bigger than that. Why fix that weak-ass SMN2 backup? Why not just straight up replace SMN1 with a working gene? So that's exactly what they did. Zolgensma is an adeno-associated viral vector drug, which means the genetic code uses a viral shell to gain entry into the cell wall, particularly the motor neurons, wherein it is endocytosed by receptors on the cell wall, And after escaping its lysosome, enters the nucleus where it uncoats and is either integrated into the host genome like most viral vector gene therapies, or in the case of Zoldgensma, just kind of chills there. Then from within the nucleus of the motor neuron cell, begin overseeing production of the SMN protein the way the original healthy gene should function. This begs the question, why use the viral vector? It's actually pretty simple. A viral vector enables the DNA to make it into the nucleus of the cell without being degraded by enzymes. The viral vector is also able to easily cross the blood-brain barrier and enter the spinal cord where most of the motor neurons are concentrated. The other cool thing about Zolgensma that I mentioned earlier is that it is essentially a cure. It's approved only for kids under the age of two. It replaces the gene responsible for SMA and then theoretically sits there in the motor neuron for the duration of the child's life. The results from the clinical trials were really good. Mortality, mobility, respiratory function, and the ability to eat and drink unaided were all dramatically improved. Granted, these early trials followed 22 patients for 18 months, but comparing the usual course of the disease to dying in six months? This was incredible. But why is it over $2 million? And now, a word from our sponsor. The CEO of Novartis argues that gene therapies are a scientific and medical breakthrough. Creating cures for diseases just years ago were death sentences. And yes, that's wonderful. But the research and funding for the development of Zolgensma was funded and subsidized by charities, a number of charities who gathered donations from families and friends of children sick with spinal muscular atrophy. Manufacturers are known to artificially inflate the breakdowns of the costs of researching drugs and this is only made more complex by multiple companies and research labs contributing to the production of a single drug. Most interesting of all is that Novartis didn't actually design Zolgensma. Zolgensma was created by Avexis and purchased by Novartis for 8.7 billion dollars. That's like the chum bucket buying the Krusty Krab secret formula and selling Krabby Patties for 2 million bucks each.
2: Yeah, and I, that's what I was about to say. Is possibly was there some form of middleman involved with when you mentioned the inf- the inflation of the price? And you just said right there with usually when it comes to manufacturers having these dealings and one manufacturer buying a drug from another one, they try to kind of compensate for the amount of money they had to pay for getting this drug by basically squeezing it out in terms of profit and basically inflating the drug price. Right. It's it's all about it's all about the profits. Exactly.
0: And did you have something to add to Yeah, so let me get this straight. So you're telling me that how how they made Solgenza, how they researched it was through charity. It was they funded through
1: charity. I don't know the actual breakdown, but there was like 10 or so charities that were gathering funds for the research of the medication. And then they yeah. give
0: it to Novartis, they find this breakthrough medication, yeah. and then they charge $2.1 million mm-hmm. per dose. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got a lot of things to say about that. That would be quite negative. It's, it's pretty awful. it's disgusting. That's yeah.
2: I mean, this is, honestly, when you said that it was subsidized by charities, that blew my mind. I'm like, charities actually funded this type of breakthrough gene therapy, and then you find out once it got to big pharma companies like Novartis, suddenly, like, as they tend to do, big pharma companies tend to do, they will literally hike up the price, in this case, $2.1 million. I'm right. like, are you kidding me? What's and
1: cool? what I said about it being a, a scientific and medical breakthrough, that's the actual defense of the CEO of Novartis. That's yeah. what he said.
0: So here's the problem I have with this, because I was doing some reading while you were breaking down the mechanism. And it I, I came across this article that actually just came out yesterday, Oh wow! Yeah, and it's um, it's about this family who is is a is a Danish family whose baby was just diagnosed with SMA, um, at 14 months old, and uh, they were trying to raise money for for this drug, and um, despite all of this, despite being on CNN Health, they've currently reached sixty thousand dollars, which in most cases would be a lot of money. That yeah, is. That's a really good. That's really good. But that's not nearly a fraction of what they need to pay for that. And then I see this other article here on CNN Health that says a family that raised the $2 million for their baby's life-saving medical treatment received the medication for free. Mm. And the reason they did that is because Novartis launched a lottery-style program to provide the treatment for free to SMA patients under the age of two under a lottery-based system. So basically what they're doing, and let me me break down this further, even though I didn't do any research of this, but this is my general understanding. To research the drug, they took in a bunch of charity. They took in a bunch of charity to research this drug. Then they put it on the market for $2.1 million, this breakthrough cure, which is a miraculous drug. Don't get me wrong. My issue with it is not the drug. But then it is so expensive that they make people ask for charity from other people. And then they can't even get that much money. That's $2.1 million. That's a lot of money. Working as a pharmacist with a base salary, you may get there and... Next Maybe year. ten years. No, Five way times. more than that. What are you talking about?
2: I mean, depending on which field <laughs> much, of pharmacy you're talking about. I'm how like, much money do you think you're making, bro? I mean, it depends. Like, I've done research on salaries when it comes to pharmacists and in the military, actually, it, this one it really goes down to rank. So I mean, you guys are still right, but you some like the military chief pharmacy. I know, right? Yeah, like, like it basically ta- it basically takes that, but high ranking the US surgeon like, general. <laughs> Is that what you think? Like and high that's ranking a good salary. I'm, yeah. Okay. I know it's funny, but literally high ranking military pharmacists on average are making Close to three hundred thousand dollars a year. Anyways, how high, how high ranking do you have to be, though? <laughs> We're talking close to U.S. Surgeon, but I haven't done the full okay. research on that. So I would have to double check, but U.S. So pharmacist General. You, in, for most
0: pharmacists, not the U.S. Surgeon General, who's not even a pharmacist; exactly. he's an MD. But anyways, uh, if you're ma- if, say you're making one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, which is a fine, it's an okay base salary. It's actually. Yeah, it's okay.
2: Okay it's not for a pharmacist, pharmacist, but I'll for
0: like it. a lot of other people,
2: that's... money. Oh, like,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's not the greatest pay for a pharmacist, but I guess as of current standards, that wouldn't be terrible. Um, that would take like, that's like over 20 years working as a pharmacist yeah. to, for a single dose. Um, and here's my problem with it. And let me get back to the point. That family that I mentioned raised $2 million from other people's charity to get the life saving medicine. And then that baby received it for free
1: mm-hmm.
0: based on this lottery system, which is incredibly lucky. But then the question is, what do you do with the $2 million? Give it to another kid that needs the medication. Give it to another kid that gets
1: the medication. Yeah. But the, I mean- Or fund, I mean, fund a campaign to increase transparency on Novartis's funding practices. My
0: question is, other than the $8.7 billion purchase that they've made, what has Novartis actually done? To to benefit the population for Zolgensma, nothing. nothing besides producing it. They've relied solely on charity to to research the further research the medication, right. and then they buy it and then they just want to sell it for two point one million dollars. Is they just think this is some sort of cash cow for it's, SMA? It's, it's this is ridiculous.
1: I've read a couple of different breakdowns of like the reasoning for the high costs for and and the the FDA allows. Orphan drug status, which gives uh, this uh, drug makers more push for these high costs. If the drug is for a disease that's so rare that only so many patients are going to be taking it, then they have to justify that cost by saying, like, well, we have to make our money back. If only, like, 100 people are going to have this drug in a year, it has to, like, be $2.1 million so we can make our money back. So that's
0: my question, though. It's not that they have to make their money back. They don't have to make their money back. The only money that they spent was actually buying the drug from another company. Right. My point is, that's a messed up system. It's that's a, a messed it's up, a broken system.
1: system. Yeah, it's it's terrible. And the CEO, he only made fourteen million dollars last year. Yeah, that was his salary How because awful. he lost money because of COVID. How awful! Yeah, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> he sucks. But anyway, so. To me, there's a a huge lack of transparency when it comes to drug manufacturers, and I think that charging this much for this drug is exploitative and disgusting, and parents of children born with spinal muscular atrophy
2: should have easier access to a truly miraculous and life-saving drug. No doubt. I honestly agree. I mean, this kind of goes back to, as we were having this conversation about the lack of transparency when we talk about drug manufacturers and profit margins, I guess we can say, for lack of a better term. But it really t- reminded me of really the story when we talk about pen- when the first penicillin came out, the creator, if you will, the researcher that discovered it, he, in his own opinion, said that he would have sold it for a dollar to someone who needed it. But yet once it was bought by, uh, who I forget who owns the patent for penicillin now, but once it was brought to market, suddenly you see this highly inflated price for Penicillin. I mean, yes.
0: I simply, is Penicillin patented right now?
2: Does, does that even? Not? I, th- I it's think it's so old. There's
0: no
1: way. <laughs> or at least, like
2: back back then when it was first. I thought first that grade, was I think it was one of the good things that Fleming did was he didn't patent it. I can't remember. Maybe I'm thinking I'm of think, someone who did a vaccine and didn't patent. It. It's like I think you may be right, but the point I was trying to make is how you, this stark difference between those who have created a drug for the greater good versus the Capitalism, really, and those who seek to make a profit off something that was made for the common good. Yeah, I don't get heated
0: about a lot of things on this podcast because you know generally we're we're pretty happy and happy-go-lucky podcast. But when it comes to things like this, nothing irritates me more than than something like that. I mean, think about the premise of that. I I, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll reiterate: a, a company takes charity. To generate a medication. Well, it was a Vexus that took the charity. Well, that. But then. Well, then they sold it for eight points. And they sold. No, it. Neither of these companies are good for what they're doing. True. Selling a drug before it's actually patented is it should should be not right. They didn't they didn't buy the drug. I mean they did they bought the distri- the distribution of the drug. Mm-hmm. So basically, but they already had the drug at least researched. I'm imagining before Novartis bought them. Right. I, I'm not sure about it, but I'm I mean I I would venture a speculation into that. But it's just it, that is one of the most frustrating things about this current industry is is big pharma. We always talk about it, but it's it's just things like this. And it's like we think about, um, for example, we did the we did the episode on Merck, Merck a long time ago, mm-hmm. and you know I mentioned in there, you know, big pharma's is getting they, they might be getting a little bit better. Merck has gotten better since the 80s and whenever they, they introduced all, all those Vioxx things and the ter- and the terrible things. Yeah, um, but. It's just things like this that just really irritate me. It's like, this is, not, this is not something that's changed or going to change unless something happens about it, but it, it drives me bonkers. It's,
1: it's awful. So the, um, on top of the lottery system that they offer, here's two other little factoids about it that I couldn't fit in naturally. So on top of the lottery thing that you mentioned, they also have a payment plan. So you can pay $475,000 per kind? year for five years oh. instead of the $2.1 million up front, which actually comes out to like $2.3 million. Also, this is actually really cool. But Japan has an arrangement with Novartis, where they purchase the drug at a slight discount. I think they get it for like one point seven million, and then it's part of their universal healthcare system. That's what the Danish system's trying to do too. I'm right. Just right, and here. that's really cool. And that makes it free under the Japanese healthcare system. So right now, the easiest way to get it is to become a citizen of Japan. Okay. <laughs> well, so if you're gonna have a baby. Needing. And they have, like, a genetic risk of getting SMA, go to Japan,
2: They're there for become citizens there,
1: <laughs> whatever their citizenship process <laughs> is, that's going to be easier than forking over 2.1 million. Well, you don't even have to be a citizen
0: there. You just have to have the baby born in Japan.
2: That's true. It would huh. automatically make the baby a Japanese citizen. Bingo.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a famous tennis player out there. Her name's Naomi Osaka. Yes. Who is largely American, but she was born in Japan, yeah. which makes her a Japanese
1: citizen. Hmm. So... I think okay. she's. I think she's a dual citizen now. I think she's. she's dual so dual I guess the best way to do it is just to have every baby born be born in Japan. Yeah, or Denmark in a few years. Apparently, right. or Denmark. That's awful.
0: I, I still think uh, th- that en- that introduces another thing that we probably don't have time for. But who? I mean, that's a lot to cover for the for any government to cover in, in their right. medication expenditure for something so rare. It's hard to ask who's going to pay two point one million dollars. The real question is. Why are we making $2.1 million the cost of the drug, period? Right. Just because they want to make back their money that they they use to buy. That's not our problem. That's not that's not patients with SMA's problem that you need to make back your eight point seven billion dollars that you thought was a cash cow. That's
2: exactly. not that's not the point. Exactly. That goes right back to the transparency factor of or of the research. Because I feel like when it comes to these drug manufacturers, that's the biggest, I don't want to say excuse, because it's true. Researching things, especially for gene therapy, as you mentioned in your segment, and gene therapy, anything regarding either gene or DNA or any form of therapy when it comes to your CNS, it's very expensive. No doubt. (laughs) if you're practically playing God, honestly, to mm. correct a defect. With that being said, research is pretty expensive. The lack of transparency in terms of like why, as you said, $2.1 million to pay for it. It's like, I need to see the numbers. Like where, like, where is it really that expensive that we have to come up with it? Or is there something like a cash cow out um, reasoning behind underlying the facts.
1: Another interesting thing though is something that we were talking about in uh, pharmacoeconomics, the willingness to pay threshold. Mm-hmm. Like what is the the dollar value of a year of life? It's really intangible. It's hard to describe. I think what didn't they say that the like the US willingness to pay for like a year of like quality life was like $50,000? $50, $50,000. So 50,000 times let's say 75 is actually 3.7 million. So the question is is not whether it's worth that dollar amount is whether they should actually be charging that dollar amount, particularly for type 1 and type 2 SMA right like type three type four, you get diagnosed at
0: 25 years old with with type right. four SMA or something like that. Um, you've already had a, a very short but a, a decent life, so then you can maybe ask, okay, maybe 2 point1 million dollars and maybe that's why they set up the lottery system for only people under age two, but it's just like that's not you're not choosing. Uh, one of the beautiful things about this, about our, our medical society as a whole, is, is particularly with, um, with neonates. And the, the decision to, um, to whether or not to keep the child based on medical conditions is helped by medical practitioners, but largely based by the decision of the parents. With this type of drug, with $2.1 million, you're taking that out of the hands of the patients, or the, or the parents, I should say. You're putting it in the hands of Novartis. Novartis wants to decide um, if you don't have $2.1 million on hand, now you don't get to have your child. And for patients that may not have, or for parents, I should say, that may not have, um, a lot of times with these genetic disorders, they sometimes can come from parents who may have difficulty um, having children. Imagine if you paid so much money for in vitro fertilization just to have your child then just to be told that your child may have SMA, and now you have to pay $2.1 million to keep that child around. That's not a good thing to do. It just drives me crazy. I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but, oh, it drives me bonkers. Capitalism at its worst. Let's get Mickey on the line to talk about capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> the one time Mickey, Mickey's communism would have played a role. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music.